It's uh, Tuvan Throat singing. Yeah. I can use that as our intro, maybe. Not offensive, because it's true. <laughs> okay. So, this edition of Cinematrimony, we're going to be talking about Winter's Bone, which we just finished watching on DVD who here are at you? home. Who are you? I'm Matt Scalisi. Who are you? Well, I'm Francesca Scalisi. And there goes the naturalistic feel of the podcast. But that's just... No, it's never naturalistic. We've discussed <laughs> your intros are the worst, but we assume we should assume that people who don't know us are listening. Right. It's an incorrect assumption, <laughs> but we should assume it just yeah, in case. Yeah, it's fair. Okay. So, I really didn't know what to expect coming into this movie. I knew that it was, you know, an indie drama. I knew it was getting a lot of buzz. But that sometimes turns me off because indie dramas sometimes are super pretentious and... No, but I think there there was consistent enough good buzz. Because I feel like I've been hearing about this since, like, last spring. I don't know. Maybe yes, I think it was... I think it, it's big break breakout moment was at Sundance. It was a big splash at, at Sundance but earlier in 2010. To me, it's one thing to have, you know a small group of people who think it's the best thing ever, but, like, anything I read about this movie said it's the best thing ever. Well, it's a really great thing. Yeah, I, I just, I've, you know, I've come to not trust that as much. Regardless, they were all right in my mind about this because, and I'll tell you what I love about it, and it's it's clearly, I mean, if you had to put it in a genre, it, and it is a genre film, it's a film noir all the way. I mean, the the structure of the story and the way it all plays out is film noir. But, but I don't really know what even makes something a film noir. Well, film noir is not an easily definable genre, but I would say that what makes this movie a film noir and what what it has in common with all other film noir is that it's number one, it's it's a it's an elaborate mystery crime mystery that's being investigated by one sort of tough hard-nosed hero hmm. and you know so she, in this case Jennifer Lawrence is really sort of the Humphrey Bogart character she is unfazed by all this crazy stuff happening around her she's tough as nails she uh, keeps pushing forward even though there's lots of resistance she's very much the Humphrey Bogart you know stereotypical character from a film noir you know what what it what it also has and i think what really makes this a great film noir and it is that the great film noirs to me have this sort of little universe that they create where the world that the characters that the main character is living in is like it makes it that much more difficult for them to solve the mystery because they don't just live in a normal world like me and you. They live in a situation where everything is stacked against them. And, you know, to give you a, an example of a very light version of that, you and I are Veronica Mars fans. Uh, and Veronica Mars is supposed to be in, in, a, in a film noir style. And that's a situation where you've got uh, a little universe there where, you know, kind of the, the social dynamics work against you being able to ever make the world a better place. It's all sort of uh, permanently 
ruined and it's permanently stacked against you know the poor kids in this case you've got this world where she's she's living in a situation where everybody is affiliated with the meth trade and like you know her, her dad obviously has gotten into some trouble because of it but she's got no one to turn to for help because her neighbors have some have some association with it and at some point we discover probably even the sheriff even the police might have some ties into it well, and not her neighbors proper well that's what see did you not get that kind of implication I thought that neighbor woman who was sort of trying to be nice to her and help her out I, I got the sense a little bit that she was kind of saying, you know, because she asked her a few times, like, you're not saying anything to anybody, right? You know, because if, if yeah, she were to... Yeah, but I think, no, I think that was just sort of the, you know, the way that society worked is, you know, her neighbors knew, look, you don't, you don't say anything because something a lot worse than the law could come down on you living up here. Yeah, she could have just been I mean, looking think, out for her, yeah. Because, you know, kind of, by the end of the movie, you know... Spoiler alert, but you shouldn't be listening well, no, if you haven't this, seen the movie. Our, our podcasts are always, are, are never spoiler free, so go ahead. But, you know, by the time she's in the sheriff's office at the end, you know, it's abundantly clear that even though, you know, the nasty Thump family, we'll call the them thump, that. The Thump clan, yeah. Milton, is that their last name? Milton? Yes, yes. The Milton clan, you know, even though they are nasty, horrible people who killed her dad, she still is going to protect them because they're her people from you know the law like it's still them Mm -hmm. versus johnny law at the end of the day and you know so i think that could be where the neighbor was coming from now the neighbor i thought was quite an interesting character because i i got the sense that this was not a professional actress which works really well especially with this let's talk about let's talk about that in general too but go ahead go ahead about her well because you know these are people who have had a hard hard life and they wouldn't be people who would be, you know, acting and, and saying things with great emotion or, you know, playing up the drama of their lives because, you know, their lives are so destitute and so desperate that, you know, it's not even worth ex- expending the energy. But what I liked about that character, and I don't, I think it must have been just written well enough or this woman knew it well enough, she played it like, I'm, I'm a good Christian woman and I know it's my duty to help my neighbor. But my God, I wish I had different neighbors. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, like yeah. that everything was kind of very begrudging, but you know, you could kind of get the sense that like she knew it was expected of her. Right. She had more, they had less. Yep. So I've got to do this. But there was always sort of a subtle disapproving aspect of her. But here's another person that I think I really got the sense that this was not a professional actor and I think it worked extremely well was the army recruiter. I yeah, feel like I that scene was, they I said, agree. I think he really was an army recruiter. And I think they said, <laughs> if somebody came to you and it said this, and this was a circumstance, how would you react? Because he was kind of repeating himself a lot. Yes. and But it was like rehearsed in the sense of like, you know, what an army recruiter would say. You well, know, I think, was, I think your first duty is to go and take care of those kids. I think that's the brave but thing the, to do But he you. had some okays, in the, you know, like like sort of talking down to her a little bit, but saying like, you know... I think I think what you need to do, okay, is and it was like it was sort of the the pattern that he had was I think he's a I think he very really was realistic and there's a it's a tough balance to strike between getting somebody to sound like they're speaking naturally but also 
you know, keeping them on message and on script. I think that's tough to do. And like what it reminded me of seeing him and seeing the neighbor woman both reminded me of, uh, bubble Steven Soderbergh movie where you where he, it was all non-professional actors and they really never came off. Cause you know, a lot of times when you see, when you, when you get that sort of very local casting, the actors really struggle to deliver their lines in a natural way. And it's very, That's what I'm saying. yeah, to me, it and they, me they never really was an army recruiter, but they never felt unnatural. They never felt like this was the first time they were ever on camera trying to recite lines. But you that's know. what I'm saying too. Though. I yeah. think maybe there were parts that weren't scripted. I agree. I think I think that's what was going on, and and uh, but 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 it worked really well, and it was a good mix. Really, the professional actors they used to me meshed pretty well, and and oh yeah, I mean obviously Jennifer Lawrence is great. I think she was perfect for the mm-hmm. part. I do think she's a little bit on the pretty side for there, but but it's okay because this is a genre movie. This is not supposed to be uh, absolute reality, gritty reality. She's a she's a character, and she's supposed to be probably stick out from everybody else because she's the hero, and she's got it. You know, she's got something special about her that makes her different from everybody else. And then you got you've got John Hawks who is. Teardrop, who we know from Deadwood, and another character, another actor from Deadwood too, is uh, the guy who plays the sheriff. Those good for for Deadwood fans. Mm-hmm. Good to see those guys in a movie, but definitely well, John, John Hawks, Hawks was, was great. Lost. He's kind of he's done a lot of stuff. He's been east down and eastbound and down. Right? Yeah, he's had a lot of work, and I think he's I think he's really good in this. He's definitely the second lead, and he, you know, he kind of. He kind of plays the range a little bit from from, uh, but that's another sort of stereotype film noir character. He's the guy who you start off thinking is a bad guy and turns out to be kind of a misunderstood good guy. And uh, I think he's I think he's he plays a lot of little subtle things really well. And, you know, he he goes from sort of being totally unsympathetic and and you know a little bit scary to towards the end there you can really see that he's in pain from losing his brother and and he's starting to feel like the connection to his family and starting to feel some some kind of you know guilt and and grief about what's going on yeah but also i want to say the the other one the other one that really stands out to me in this movie and i don't know the actress's name but she's the woman who, and I don't think the character has a name either, but she's the woman who is Thump's wife, Thump's wife or the woman who guards Thump's door, basically. And she was, she was nasty. I mean, she was, she was a good, scary, you know, Appalachian nightmare of a, of a woman. And she's... No, you're Ozarks right. It's this the Ozarks. It's, but you know, it, that's I what know I mean. It's you sort of, it's sort of that, that that backwoods woman look well, that, and, and we, I think we've seen her on breaking bad. I think I, I, it's yeah, the same woman. I think, I she, think is the, she is the like nasty drug. She's the, she's the evil jump him in the alleyway druggy woman yeah. from breaking bad. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, again, sort of, I mean, that's the thing that strikes you about this film is it's so pitch perfect. And the scene where all the ladies jump her, that is so clearly like, and again, maybe that was fight choreographed, but it sure looked like they were like, okay, be scrappy, go. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it was just, it, it struck you as how that would really have happened instead of, 
swings and swerves and, you know, dodges and, you know, that's not how fights happen in real life. I liked that touch, though, by the way, that all the women, it was sort of understood that the men, the men were not going to have anything to do with that fight. That was the women were going to have to be the ones that wrangled her. And, and beat her a little bit because well, that's just the way again, it goes. Yeah, the code, I think, a little bit, too, was because I think the guys kind of asserted, like, we didn't touch her, we didn't touch her because, right. you know, that's sort of one of those deep ingrained things that, like, you know, regardless of the fact that we're cooking meth and murdering people, right. the guy's not going to hit a girl. Right. Like, you know, it's kind of that code. But what I, I think that kind of stuff, like, I don't, whoever, it was written, it was based on a novel. Right. I'm tired, obviously. I can't say words out of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were so pitch perfect. And one thing that struck me was that this was a poverty that we don't see on film very often. Urban poverty, you kind of see a lot. And yeah. certainly most yeah. recently and very well was done was precious. Mm-hmm. But you don't see like mountain poverty where, you know, the clothes don't really fit and they're about 10 years out of date. And the haircuts all look like they were done at home. Cars and are all 20 years old, Cars at least. are old. Yeah. Homes are all messy just because survival is the most important thing, not keeping things clean, you squirrel, know. Squirrel, squirrel uh, skinning. All the kids' toys look like they've <laughs> right. come off of somebody's curb, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it was it was that kind of touches that, I think the you little know, boy's haircut even looked like. I mean, that's what yeah. I said. All the haircuts looked like they were done at yeah. home, you know. Yeah. And that's kind of... That sort of a poverty you don't see on screen very much. You see a lot of, you know, like I said, urban poverty, or you know, if it's country poverty, it's I can't think of the last time that was really represented. You know, certainly not like a modern country poverty. Well, yeah, everybody know? wants to do what you always mention. Everybody wants to do the Sweet Home Alabama version of the South in movies. You know, where well, I don't know. You've you've said it to me before, but but like. That that they always take it too far. You can tell that they don't know what they're talking about because they're a few notes off. And this, I mean, especially because of the time of year that we're seeing this movie, that that's what it looks like outside uh, in terms of the trees and the and the landscape. I mean, you and I, it doesn't. We could if we drove ten minutes away from where we are right now, we could see stuff that looks exactly like what we saw. I mean. Just, just big fields with a dirt road leading up to a trailer, and they, you know, people people do live that way in this part of the country, and I think they they really captured what it looked like without taking it too far. I mean, I think David Gordon Green has done a pretty good job of showing a realistic version of rural South, uh, but not too many other people do it that well. I mean, that to me that that sort of uh, well, David Gordon Green wasn't particularly poverty, though, was he? Well, it, I mean, it was it was a different it was a it was not like this. It was not the trailer out in the woods, southern poverty. All, uh, you know, the um, was it called Undertow? Yeah, I mean that 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 one was sort of pretty pretty backwoodsy. But uh, I mean, I, what to me to me that's what. The, the the little geography that, that's going on in this movie that you can kind of feel the little county they're living in and how there's really only a few different areas of town where there are actually people and you know you can't imagine there are more than a 
than a handful of little businesses that cater to all the people that live in this area. And, you know, it's just, it's just what I imagine when we drive through stuff like that around here and we're going to drive, you and I are driving through Mississippi tomorrow. We're going to see it pretty much the entire way off from one end of the state to the other. That's what it's going to look like. But, you know, I do, I think it's just, I think it's not a world that gets portrayed period, but certainly portrayed accurately very often in a real movie made by really talented people. And I think, I think they did a really good job of recreating that environment. Like I said, I mean, I think, you know, the Hollywood version of that would have been more like, you know, broken windows and, you know, tattered clothes as opposed to, you know, poverty really is, you know, clothes that somebody gave to Goodwill and then they bought for, you know, 50 cents on, you know, the half off day and, you know. Everybody's wearing a t-shirt that they have no idea what that t-shirt is referencing. Right. They just got it from somebody third hand, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of, that's, that to me was something like, oh, we haven't seen that on film before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. What did you think about, um, what did you think about just in general the, I guess the, the mystery and the way that it sort of unfolded? Because I know at some point you and I talked about what was going on. We try not to talk during these movies when we're going to be podcasting. Yeah, but but I had to say, what's going on? (laughs) Which, I mean, it's a testament to the, you know, the craft of the movie that um, I didn't really know what was going on as it turned out Mm -hmm. (laughs) through most of it, but I was engaged and interested. I just somehow missed the fact that the dad was a snitch until, like, the the reason we had to stop, and I was like, wait, what's going on, Matt, is the standoff between Teardrop and the sheriff, and he said, you you shouldn't have told her. Yeah, because the did, sheriff... Why did you tell or the something? Sheriff and I was told, like, why did he tell... What? The sheriff told the Miltons that uh, that Jessup had had snitched. Yeah, I so, had, like, missed the whole which, snitch which implies part. Which implies that the sheriff is, you know, either on the take from the Miltons or has some kind of tie to the Miltons. He's not just out there trying to bust up uh, the meth, you know, the meth ring. He's he's actually helping the Miltons. So, and that's what I mean when I was talking about the, that sort of no win scenario that they're that they're trapped in because the law really in those cases, in, you know, in a lot of these movies, the police and all that, they're of no assistance to the hero. They're really just kind of an annoyance, if anything. But they're just kind of this third party that has nothing. You know, they're, they're not going to help you out. They're not going to save you or, or arrest the bad guys because they're in with the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complicated plot, but I think that's that's just kind of the nature of the genre, I guess. Well, oh, so, well and you know, when I've tried to do more before, I threw up my hands. I was like, I don't know what's going on. What do you mean? You made me watch the Falconer or whatever it was called. The Maltese Falcon? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most... Beloved classic film. I know. Ever. I couldn't keep up with it. Well, I guess I'm that, bad with faces and names and facts and mysteries. You do have to keep a lot of that straight in these movies. And right? really, to be fair, that's why you really benefit from watching it all in one sitting. But I really don't think that made a difference, Matt. I'm, I had pretty good retention. I just totally missed the fact that he was a snitch. Well, so. Regardless. Now, let's talk about 
let's talk about sort of how this fits in with everything else. I mean, there's been lots of buzz about this, and I know you're not that into the sort of Oscar handicapping, but just when you look at this movie and you look at, let's say, the other two that are really being talked about so far, which is Inception and The Social Network, I mean, does this... I bet Toy Story 3 is going to get Toy, Toy Story 3, yeah, let's, let's say Toy Story 3 gets in there, too, although it doesn't really play the same game that the, the you know it'll get the nomination but it's not really playing the same best picture game that these other ones are do you do you feel like watching winter's bone i mean is it is it an is it just a really good indie movie or is that a movie that you could look at and say you know 30 years from now look back at and go i'm proud to sort of represent 2010 with that movie and say that was you know because to me there's multiple movies every year you could do that with but is that one of them that you would look back and say I think this could represent the best that movies had to offer this year um I think it was very good and I think it will deserve nomination that's coming I don't think it will win though I think it's too small too obscure um and I don't think there's you know I think a movie really has to have at least one person in it of note you know but sometimes there's a star is born and I think Jennifer Lawrence will get attention and I think I think she'll She'll get nominated but to me and and not not to downplay what she did because it's a good performance but best actress is just kind of known for Every year, there's always one, at least, in Best Actress that just knocks you on your ass, you know. And it's, it's, it's always that to me. That it's just a category that lends itself to bombastic, <coughs> big performances, you know. And uh, I'm not sure that this Jennifer Lawrence performance is is no, it's understated, it's, and the movie's yeah, understated it's, too. It's right for the movie. It's perfect for the movie, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to get you enough attention to beat out, you know, and I don't know what's still out there, but, you know, maybe there's a Meryl Streep movie I'm not aware of where she's, Probably. you know, but but it's always something like that. There's, there's always something where there's a there's some really big element to the performance where you just go, wow. And this was not a wow performance. It was just really, really good. Well, and I think that's probably what would be working against the film. I mean, look, I don't know that it will necessarily get a Best Picture nomination. Not because it shouldn't get one, but, you know, I think... It does have a bit of a campaign behind it. I've seen ads already. well, okay then. But I'm just saying, like, I think people, when they pick the Best Picture, I think there is this innate need for it to be sort of a showboat. You know, I mean, like, when was a really little film well her best picture i mean hurt locker was was relative to it to a lot of the other ones that were nominated last year hurt yeah. locker was a pretty small movie it was uh and it was a uh, you know Catherine, it wasn't really subtle you know no it was it, it it's probably did it cost kind of a lot of money i bet it cost more than winner's bone it it also had uh a more famous director, Catherine Bigelow, was not... I mean, she wasn't A-list, but she had done stuff before, and people knew who she was. And, you know, it had a couple of big-name stars in it, albeit as sort of cameos, but... But it was, like, it was splashy. I mean, I guess It was a bigger movie than this was. It felt important, you know? 
And Winter's Bone is telling kind of a small story quietly. Yeah. You know, and I think there's an element of either, you know, you want to vote for what's glitz and glam or what feels important. And as we discussed last year, you know, The Hurt Locker was like an apolitical movie. It wasn't yeah. actually saying anything at all on a grand scale, but it felt like it was. So I think that's why it got, it's you know, really, this picture. It's really hard to look at sort of trends and ever apply them because it's such a year-to-year thing. And, you know, some people would tell you Hurt Locker was people voting for Hurt Locker was actually an anti-Avatar vote, and it was just a matter of people People just wanted to say this is not what Oscars oh, are about. Avatar but was Best Picture nominated? Best Picture nominated, yeah. That was such a piece of crap. <laughs> well, it was so bad. That uh, makes me upset. Yeah, and, and look, I think s- last year's Oscars, it was a very weird dynamic. It was the first time we'd had ten... Is, is since, there a My Little Pony like movie coming out? Because that would fit into the Avatar slot this year. Right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and I don't think there's going to be an easy uh, equivalent for all the movies you saw last year. I don't think there's going to be a blind side this year. Everybody keeps looking for that when they're all saying of Secretariat. Bone. Is there going to be is Secretariat this year's blind side? What? Maybe there maybe there won't be. Maybe a there's horse who's a secretary. I don't think so. Anyways. What I'm Wait. saying is, Winter's Bone. I mean, in 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 a lot of years, the you know, especially like the 70s and the 80s, the the best picture nominees were it it, it was it was about movies like Winter's Bone, and yeah. I think I think as we sort of get more comfortable with the 10 nominee slots, I think we're going to feel less pressure to say, well, the big super huge hit commercial hit of the year we're not going to put the karate kid remake in there just because it made a ton of money you know uh it, it's going to go more to movies like this and just at least for them to get their recognition and so i do think it'll get nominated is yeah. my immediate guess see i feel like it might not get nominated for best picture but that probably uh teardrop i forget his name john hawks do you really you think he could get nominated oh yeah i think he I was think he'd good. be a best supporting best probably. supporting actor i could see that happening yeah yeah I thought he did a really good job. I really was was enjoyed watching him, and um, you know, I think Jennifer Lawrence it sounds like she's sort of a shoe in for best actress nomination. See, I'm not 100 percent sure, although there's just not that many good female roles that I can think of. Yeah, this year, like leading roles, you know. Well, the Social Network, for as much you know, we're talking about Social Network and Inception, the two movies I just mentioned that everybody's talking about as best picture nominees really no notable women in those movies no no big female performances in them so winter's bone is a kind of a rare case so far this year where it's all about a girl and you know she she runs the show here so i mean i think and i think she does a good job i think i think she could get enough attention for it yeah i think so speaking of winter's bone do you think the first installment of harry potter <laughs> I'm wondering if well, maybe, we're really maybe we're really the, branching off our conversation well, now, but wondering. we can talk about it. I, or actually, maybe the second one. Like maybe this is going to be a Return of the King situation where it might finally. I mean, not finally, like it really deserves recognition, but it just might. You know, the second part, maybe next year, that might get a little attention just because uh, it's the end of you know eight movies yeah, at that point. It's tough to call. I, I I can I could see the second one getting. Rec- you know, collective recognition for the series. Whatever. I mean, and there's some good drama happening as well. You know that. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen this well. year. I don't think part one will get nominated. 
Yeah, probably not. But I think part two just might. I'm calling it now. 2000... What year will it be? 11. 11. It'll actually be 2012 when they have those Oscars. Holy guacamole. Anyways. Winter, Anyways, Winter's, Winter's Bone. Bone was really good. Very good. I, I, I would recommend it to anybody. I'm assuming you would. I always like it when you know why a movie is named something. And it took a while. Oh, yeah. It's almost the very... I know it's called Winter's Bone. Almost the very end. Yeah, but... It's good to know why they call it that, but stop just short of saying, we've got to find his bone, his winter's bone. Oh, like, actually say the title. Yeah. Yeah. 